You enjoying the weather? All right. You're in here for the air conditioning, some of you. All right. Yeah. Great to see you. Boy, it, it came fast. The Harleys are out. People are mowing all the time. It's happened mowing around your Grace Community Yard site. Yeah, we know. Yeah, doing that is just it's great. Last, sun, uh, last weekend, had a great weekend. Just wanted to get back to you on some of that. A lot of us went out and did the, the 5K and all that for Heartbeat. And then on Sunday, we did a dollar club and we raised, I think, four, over $4,800, almost $5,000 uh, to help them sort of uh, improve the, their fundraising efforts for the weekend. And so thank you for that. Just wanted to report back to you on that. Uh, we're very interested in helping moms and babies, and we, we're invested in that, and we want to uh, do everything we can uh, to make it a good life for every child that's born. And so that's where we're at. We're in a series called Ever Wonder Why. And we've been tackling some of the questions that people have about Christianity. Sometimes uh, these questions come from non-believers. Sometimes it's believers that don't know the answers to all this, and so it's good to sort of think through some of these things. And uh, the question that we want to deal with today is, why should I personally trust the Bible? And we deal with this question every once in a while, but uh, today we're trying to do it on a little more of a personal basis, although a lot of it is just evidence, and so it goes back to the cognitive that we're normally talking about. But uh, So we're going to give you some reasons for that. If you're not a believer, then you're going to hear reasons, evidence for Scripture. And if you are a believer, but you have doubts about Scripture, well, we're going to give you some evidence. But probably most of us here... We're believers, and we don't really have any doubts about the Bible. You need this too, and here's why. Because this summer, people are going to ask you questions, and you'll be talking about things. Maybe it'll be cultural things. Maybe it's religion, whatever it is. And a lot of times, because we have a, a faith that's based on Scripture, you know, we'll say, well, actually, I, I don't, no, I don't go along with that. I think that's wrong. I think that's not best for people or whatever. And then they're going to say, why? And then we say something like, well, because it's in the Bible. And then some people, boy, they were perk up when you say that. For example, college professors, you know, they're going to perk up when you say that. But even some in your family or, or maybe at work, you know, who feel like they've done a little studying on this, which they usually haven't, but you know, they'll, they'll perk up and they'll say, well, why, do you, why can you trust the Bible? And here's what I'm suggesting. Here's what we say sometimes, but I'm suggesting we don't say. I don't think we should say, well, because I grew up that way, which may be true, but that's not helping the person asking the question. Well, you grew up that way. Well, I didn't grow up that way. Well, if you just grew up that way, if that's, if that's why you're trusting the Bible, well, people grew up thinking all different things, you know, it doesn't help them. I don't even think it helps when we say, it helps as much when we say, well, the Bible changed my life. That's better. But I think for a lot of people, they just think, well, it hasn't changed my life. Or they think, well, I've been influenced by other things. So you say the Bible, and the, the issue is, I think sometimes with our answer, although that's a pretty good answer, I think a better answer is that we say something like this. Now imagine, you're at a, a family gathering or you're at work and somebody kind of asks you this going, well, well, who says what the Bible says? You know, why are you going by that? Or 
the university professor, you're in class, and then you've said something, and they're like, whoa, the Bible. Oh, well, why do you trust the Bible? And if you say, well, because I grew up with it, or well, it changed my life, they'll have something, to, they'll already know what they're going to say in response. But rather, I think we should say something like this. I trust the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that record supernatural events that happened to fulfill specific prophecies and claim that the writings were divine rather than human in origin. All right, now you say that, the professor's gonna say, oh, maybe I'll get back to you on that. You know, because all of a sudden now you're working in a bunch of evidence, right? How many of you think you could remember that? Okay, let's work, let's work through this, all right? Because if you can't remember all of it, just remember the beginning. I trust the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents. I mean, we could just stop there and not even include that was written by eyewitnesses and then not even mention during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses and not even talk about the fact that they recorded supernatural events, by the way, which were in response and fulfilled specific prophecies and of course claim to be divine in origin rather than human. So w without even putting all that, so think about this. Today, I wanna to work through some of that and then I wanna break it down in basically three kind of rough areas uh, just to hang things on a little bit. So why you should trust the Bible historically, why you should trust the Bible theologically, and what I mean by that, why you should trust the Bible regarding right and wrong, and then why you should trust the Bible personally. All right, we ready? All right, let's do it. All right, the Bible can be trusted historical. Now, there are two ways that people do not trust the Bible historically. Some people come at it this way, they'll say, well, the Bible does not record accurate history. And they'll, they'll look to the Bible, sometimes they'll even have an example, which is always an outdated example that's been refuted, but they'll have an example like, you know, and, and here's what we need to remember. First of all, the Bible is not a history book, but, we're the, but the Bible was written in history about history, and so when history and the Bible intersects, the Bible can always be trusted. It's been proven to be historically accurate. Now, here's what I mean by that. Historically, all those historical claims keep being proven archeologically about the Bible. And it's weird because people try to pick apart the Bible and they'll use really minor things. Uh, hey, uh, the Bible said that you know, 2,000 years ago, this guy was the governor of this area, but then we dug up something and actually we found his name, but actually he was the governor 60 years before the Bible says he was a governor. There you go, we can't trust the Bible. Well, then what happens is they keep digging and then all of a sudden, oh, we found this guy's name again. Oh, and this guy has the same name Oh, and he was the governor right when the Bible said he was the governor. That kind of stuff keeps happening. I'll, I'll give you another example. And, and they're just kind of minute things, but people challenge. Uh, I, I, I remember I heard somebody tell me once that uh, 
they couldn't trust the Bible because historians don't believe King Solomon, who was an ancient king of Israel, could have had as many horses as the Bible says he had, because he had just tens of thousands of horses. And they're like, well, you know, in ancient times, that kingdom could not have supported an army that would have that many horses. It was just really, so we know the Bible's exaggerating. And that went through colleges. I mean, things like that were being said. Until archaeology, they started uncovering Megiddo. And so I've had the privilege of being in, in Israel, and so there's a tell, Megiddo, and a tell is just usually cities were built on a hill, but then those cities would be destroyed, you know, and a thousand years later, another city, and then another city, and another city, then it just becomes a bigger hill, and it's all built on ruins of former cities. So I'm at Megiddo, and while I'm there, they're, they're talking about how normally they start uncovering just the past and going a little deeper. Well, on this one tell, meaning the hill, the Megiddo, they said, we're gonna do something different. We're gonna cut a V into this so we can see all the layers. And so if you ever look that up on the internet, you'll see, for, if you're looking at it from a certain side, there's a huge V gashed into this city-sized hill. Well, when they got down to Solomon's level, they start digging and what do they find? Oh, a horse stall. And then they dig a little more in a horse stall. And then dig a little more in a horse stall and a horse stall and a horse stall. And then finally they realize this whole city is just filled with horse stalls. And then it's like, oh yeah, that's what the Bible, and the Bible even said where all these horses were. You know, and that's exactly what the Bible said, but for whatever reason, historians thought, now that couldn't really be. That's how nitpicky people criticize scripture and that's how verifiable scripture has become. That type of thing happens all the time to where people don't even hardly make many of those claims now because they, it starts being proven wrong. It's provable scientific evidence when what they say is wrong. And by the way, when I say provable science, I mean real, verifiable scientific evidence that you actually debate, you know, that's scientific you debate it, you figure it out. You shut down the debate, it's just propaganda. I'm talking about real scientific evidence. Now, some people think the Bible today is not, it's just not off on history. They would say it's not authentic, it's not accurate to the original writings. But I gotta tell you, in a short way, the Bible has proven itself to be accurate according to the original writings, or you know, we know that also through historical process. And the problem with that is just a lot of people don't really understand how we got the Bible. Think about this, and, and now I'll just start, start talking about the New Testament, just to make this a little more easy to hang on. So the New Testament was all 27 books were written in the second half of the first century. So Jesus dies in 33 AD, And by 90 AD, 60 years later, all of the New Testament was written. All the books that we have was written by then. Basically, just within 60 years. That's what we know. And I'll tell you how we know that. Now, after it was written, it was immediately, because it was written by followers of Christ, the disciples, apostles, it was immediately accepted as scripture. 
I'll even show you later where we know that from scripture, but it was immediately accepted. And so then they saw this as the word of God. So then they knew that what the materials they were using to write on was just papyrus back then or vellum, which is just like leather, but it all disintegrated. So then Christians set about starting to copy this so other people could have a copy of what God said through people and that it could be passed around. But they realized this is God talking. We cannot mess this up. And so, as I've mentioned many times before, they would copy a letter and then they would go through that letter and they would count like every A, every B, every C, and then they would, then they would count all those in the copy and make sure that it all squared. The other thing they would do is they would count down to the exact middle letter character within the letter, the whole document, and then they would do that with the copy to make sure it counted down the middle, not middle word, but the middle letter in the document was the same as the copy. And whenever they found a mistake, you know, they couldn't just delete it or backspace like we do and, and put it back in. It was an issue because the, the document's done. And so they could scratch it out and write it in, but they knew that's gonna cause all kinds of issues because then people will wonder, when was this scratched out? When did they put this in? How do we know this is right? I can't tell what, there's a smudge there. What's going on? And so what they did is they said, if there's any error, we tear this up, we burn it, we destroy it, and we start all over. That's how they started copying scripture. And that's how we know these documents are reliable. But it's not just that. Um, People think, well, if you copy it and then translate it and translate it and translate it and copy it and translate it and, and you're doing it, then all of a sudden, you know, it can't be the real deal. And then other people think, well, you know what happened? There were all these writings floating around and then somewhere around Constantine in 300 AD, they had a council and they all met together and say, hey, we're picking these to be the Bible. That did not happen that way. That's Da Vinci Code that happened that way in the movie. That's a fictional movie, has no basis of historical accuracy. What actually happened was these letters were copied starting in the first and second century. And then they were passed down and recopied, that's true. But the church always accepted those writings as biblical. 300 years later, or 200 years later, as they were meeting with all these councils, they were kind of doing the finalized decisions. There were some arguments. Hey, who wrote Hebrews? We still don't actually, we think it's Paul, but we don't know that 100% sure. You know, but, but the people always saw it as scripture. And when, they, when those councils finally decided it's these 27 books, guess what? Those were the same only 27 books that the church had already saw as scripture for 300 years before they decided to say that. They just verified what the practice of the church already was. Does that make sense? Some people say, well, it's old. We can't know. It's been translated too many times. And that's true. There are no originals, documents of the Bible. There are no originals of any piece of ancient literature of any kind. Because the stuff they wrote on, unless it was kept in a super, super dry climate, it disintegrated. But here's what we know. For, for example, the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the Dead Sea Scrolls are a bunch of Old Testament writings 
that were stuck in a cave in like the first century. So this is before the New Testament came later in the first century. Earlier in the first century, they had their Old Testament documents and there were some wars going on. They stuck them all into a cave, in jars in the cave. And then those were discovered like in the 40s and the 50s. And so they, and every Old Testament book was represented except for one, which was Esther. And so now all of a sudden, because people said, well, as they're translated, you know, back in the first century, they were speaking Hebrew, then it was Greek, some of it was in Aramaic, blah, 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 blah. And, they're, and so they're saying, what was, so now all of a sudden with a snapshot, we could go back 2,000 years from today or the 40s and 50s, and we could go all the way back to the middle of the first century and see how those skipping 2,000 years were compared to what we have today. And so we compared those. 99.5% accurate to what we already had passed down. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, then what about the 0.5? What about the half of 1% that was inaccurate? Well, there were about 10 variant spellings of proper names. You know, some of you are not that great spellers either. So 10 times somebody spelled a proper name a different way. It could have been that the that the way that name was written changed over those years. But 10 times, it was just a different, the way they spelt the name, same name, just spelt it different. Then the other thing that happened is four times, they combined two words, like they made it into a conjunction rather than two separate words. Okay, well, that doesn't change the meaning at all. And then the other variant was that they added the word light in some to explain something. Okay, none of those point half of 1%, 0.5% variance had anything to do with any meaning of any sentence in the Bible. So do you understand what I'm saying? Reliable, historical documents. But then some people say, well, it's, it's not because of that. It's all these translations, you know, because first it was Greek, the New Testament we're talking about, then it was Syriac, then it was Latin, you know, maybe Coptic's thrown in there, and then German, and then English. Right, right, right. That's how we used to get the Bible. But now we don't get the Bible that way. Now we go back to the ancient Greek manuscripts and translate it one time into English. We don't rely on any of the other translations. We go back to those ancient manuscripts and we translate it one time. If you don't like it being translated one time, learn Greek and go back and read it for yourself. And you have zero translations. You can do that today. Well, maybe not today, learn Greek, but it takes a little while. So, but they're recording what happened. And, and by the way, what they're recording that was so faithfully preserved, and we know that we can prove it scientifically, what they're recording is eyewitness testimony. The Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses, written by eyewitnesses. And the Bible tells us this too, that this is the whole story of the Bible. Some of the people in the Bible were there. I mean, the Bible's about what happened during their lifetimes. For example, Second Peter, and Peter was around for all this stuff, right? Second Peter 1.6 says, for did, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
He's saying, I'm just writing, I'm just telling you what I saw with my own two eyes. And then not only that, it's not only that we trust the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by, old, by eyewitnesses, but those eyewitnesses wrote during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. What if I told you, hey, you know what? I, I got some cool news for you guys. Check this out, you'll never believe it. My dad, William Pinkerton, was the first man who walked on the moon in 1965. How many of you are believing that? Yeah, nobody's believing that, why? Because a bunch of you were alive when that happened, and you're thinking, well, no, it wasn't William Pinkerton that was, that was Neil Armstrong. And by the way, that wasn't 1965, that was 1969, right? So, but if I told you, hey, no, no, it was really, it was my dad. I watched him on TV, I witnessed it. You'd be like, well, you're wrong, right? It's the same thing with the Bible. That was, hey, you're wrong, that just happened like 53 years ago. Right. Jesus died 33 AD. By 60 years later, the entire New Testament was written while the eyewitnesses were still alive. The Bible even says that this way. In 1 Corinthians 15, some people don't like the Bible to defend the Bible, but that's just a fact, but here's how it just happens to be mentioned in the Bible. Here's what Paul's saying. He's talking about the resurrection. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He's talking about the New Testament when he's talking about scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, he says. This is him writing scripture, talking about scripture, New Testament scripture, guys that are writing the same time he is. And then verse five, and he appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Peter, then to the 12. And some people stop right there if they're listening. Oh, what? Jesus rose and appeared and appeared to Peter and then to the 12? That's inaccurate. Judas hung himself. There wasn't 12 then, there was 11 then. How could he have done that? Here's an error in the Bible. Okay, this is a big problem. Okay, until you keep reading the Bible, then the Bible tells us what? Hey, they replaced Judas with a guy named Matthias, and how did they pick Matthias? Because he is one of the guys who were witnesses to the resurrection. So they're, oh, oh, that 12, yeah. The replaced 12, oh yeah. Bible says he was a witness too in another place. Got it, Luke told us that. Verse six, continuing. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. He's writing in the first century saying, Jesus appeared one time to a group of 500 people and most of those people are still alive, although a few have died. That's what's happening. And then, then he says, and then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, all the followers saying what are we saying i trust the bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents that were written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses so they could be refuted is what we're saying the bible can be trusted historically and Second, the Bible can 
be trusted theologically. And just not just theologically, but what I would say, the Bible can be trusted morally. The Bible can be trusted regarding right and wrong. Because a lot of people have questions about this. They use this as a pushback against scripture. You see, the Bible is God's revelation to us and it teaches us about God and about us and about how we can be reconnected to God. That's the whole story of the Bible. The, the Old Testament is about, it, Genesis is a story of why everything is jacked up the way it is. And then the rest of the Old Testament is all pointing to what's gonna fix that, the coming Messiah. And then the New Testament is about the Messiah coming, who's the son of God, and what he did and what he taught. I mean, that's the whole Bible. For example, 2 Timothy 3.14 says this. You, he, he, here he's, this is Paul writing to Timothy in the first century. He's saying, you, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Okay, I think when he says sacred writings there, he's probably talking about the Old Testament, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying there is just knowing the basis of the Old Testament that says, hey, here's how we've gotten all off track. Here's the reason for every, all the hate in the world, everything else is explained to us in the Old Testament. But the fix is coming. How God's gonna fix this is coming in the Messiah. So it points to the Messiah. So, but some don't trust the Bible saying, you know, the Bible affirms wrong things. So they would say, some things are just inherently wrong, you know, say slavery, and the Bible's affirming that. Actually, that's the two main ones they use. The Bible affirms polygamy, and the Bible teaches slavery. You know, both of those things are wrong, and let me explain why. The Bible teaches polygamy. The Bible doesn't teach polygamy. At the very beginning of the Bible, in the second chapter of the Bible, the Bible teaches one man for one woman, for a lifetime, that's what marriage is supposed to be. Genesis 2.24. One man, for one woman, for a lifetime. Now, later in the Old Testament, polygamy is described because it happened. So, because they're recording history, they're saying, yeah, because that's part of the story they're telling. It's like, yeah, this happened, and this happened, and this happened. But as it recorded polygamy, when, people had more, when men had more than one wives, specifically... Every single time it recorded that, it went on to, do, to record the destruction and the mess that made in their life. So just because the Bible mentions polygamy, it's not promoting polygamy, it's actually showing us how polygamy will wreck your family in every instance. That's exactly what happened. And then people say, well, Christians were okay with slavery. No, Christians weren't okay with slavery. Slavery was in every continent of the world. It was Christians that ended slavery. How, how could we be Christians who Jesus tells us what? What does everybody know about Christian? Well, Jesus said you're supposed to love everybody. All right, how do you love everybody and practice racial slavery? How do you love everybody, even love your enemies and practice slavery? 
Christians ended slavery. They didn't promote slavery. Did they record instances of slavery? Yeah. But not promoting it. The Bible doesn't promote wrong things. It describes that wrong things happen. Right. Look around. Still that way. Some people say the Bible is just another book written by men. Written by men. So that's why we tack this on. We say, hey, I trust the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that record supernatural events that were in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claimed divine origin rather than human origin and claimed divine rather than human origin. See, God's telling us, yeah, he used men, but it was God who authored the books of the Bible, God who authored scripture. Second Peter 2.1 says this, but we know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but by men, I'm sorry, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And by the way, that doesn't mean these men were infallible. It means what they wrote that was put into the Bible was infallible. If they wrote a note to their wife, that's not infallible, right? It's what went into the Bible. Now, the Bible can be trusted historically. The Bible can be trusted theologically, meaning we can trust it morally. We can trust it regarding right and wrong. But also, and this is where a lot of people get stuck, the Bible can be trusted personally. And, and what, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, 2 Timothy continues, verse 3, I had read that earlier, ending in 15, with 16, it starts this way. A, a scripture you guys probably all know, or most of you. It says this, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God or the person of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And when I say man, person, I'm saying this is the generic use of man, but anyway. Yeah, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You see, the Bible is God's message to us today personally. Personally, for you, in your world, in your life, right now, this information in the Bible is what God wants you to know. It's what he's saying you need to know. And when Paul says scripture, what's he referring to? All scripture is God breathed. Okay, first of all, God breathed means God inspired. It came from God. But what about scripture? What does he mean by that? Is he talking about the Old Testament that was completed when he's writing this? And the answer to that is no. He's actually talking about the New Testament that's still being written when he writes this. Think about it this way. Paul's last book in the New Testament. It's his last book. Most of the New Testament has already been written. It, 
Hardly ever you're going to find it all together in one place, but different people are realizing, hey, all these writings that these guys wrote, this is scripture. And he's writing his last book, and he's saying all scripture is God-breathed. That's what he's talking about. And here's, here's my evidence for that. Here's Peter, not Paul, another New Testament writer who's writing his last book, 2 Peter, about the same time that Paul's writing his book, last book, 2 Timothy, and then Peter refers to Paul's writings, which Paul is still writing as scripture. Here's how, here's how that happens, 2 Peter 3, 14. Did I lose you on that? Just, just listen to this and bear with me and I'll move on, all right? 2 Peter 3, 14. Therefore, so here's Peter writing his book, kind of wrapping things up. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard to the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul. Now here's Peter writing about Paul. According to the wisdom given to him, wrote, he wrote to you. As also in all his letters, talking about Paul's letters, speaking in them of things which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You see here, Peter's writing, hey, you know that Paul guy, by the way, Paul had corrected Peter. We know that from the Bible. One time Peter was thinking something, he should do something about how he should interact with these Jewish people and sort of keep the law and, and keep the Gentiles separate. And Paul confronted him on that and Paul was right. Now, Paul corrected Peter. Now here's Peter saying, hey, you know that Paul guy, he wrote all that stuff and is still writing that stuff, by the way. And some of that stuff is really hard to understand. And because of that, some people try to twist it around like those people do with the rest of scripture. It's Peter saying Paul's writings are scripture, meaning they're from God. They're God-breathed. And here's the deal. The Bible isn't trusted personally because people don't want to submit to God and that's basically what it comes down to I'm telling you all this information and I think you need to know it and I think you need to be able to argue it but some people you could present evidence all day long and we could easily do that here and you guys believe me you know I could and you're like please don't do that Kevin I know we can give them evidence all day long. But some people, it won't matter how much evidence you give them because they don't want to believe Scripture. Um, and we, we, we recognize that. And why don't they want to personally trust the Bible? Because of what it says. Because the Bible tells us right and wrong. It tells us things we don't want to hear. It tells us things about how we should handle our money, how we should handle our sexuality. You know, what about marriage? What, what, what's going on? All these things that get all into our personal business. The Bible deals with meaning God is giving us instruction in is what's happening. And so if you have a problem with God's word, there's a good chance it may be because you just have a problem with a righteous God. Everybody's good with the loving God, and God is loving. 
but God's also righteous and he tells us what's right and wrong. And some, a lot of people have a problem with that. And you have a problem with that because you don't believe he really loves you like he says he loves you. Because if he really loves you, he will tell you how to live. He'll tell you what's best. He'll tell you what's right and wrong. So the Bible is God's personal message to us today. It, it, it's just like if, we, if God tweeted us something, we buy, check this out! God just tweeted me something. Hey, everybody, you gotta see this, take it to the bank, check this out. Look what God just texted me. Wow, th th that's what God's done. God's given us this. Here's the problem, but people say, well, yeah, well, the Bible, we're not excited about the Bible because the New Testament, it's 2,000 years old. It's not the same as getting a tweet today. Well, you, you might think that, but remember when Jesus started his ministry? I don't know if you remember this, but Jesus was then tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Anybody? Yeah, Bible's telling us that. Historical happened. And so he's, he's tempted by Satan. Do you remember how he faced, this is the son of God. Do you remember how he faced the temptation? He could have just said, get out of here. But he didn't. He answered every temptation. How? What did he use? The Bible, right? The Old Testament. So every time he was tempted in the wilderness, he used the Old Testament scripture. By the way, were the Old Testament scriptures new at that point? No. They were hundreds of years old, a thousand years old. Some It was old stuff that he was using, but what's he telling us? Well, what did Jesus say? He says this, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. The word of God doesn't age. The word of God, the Bible, is as relevant to us today as it was the day it was written. Because it's God's word. It's always true, always relevant, and there's a reason God has preserved it for you and me today. It's for us to use. It's relevant to us personally today. So when somebody asks you, why do you trust the Bible? And they're waiting for you to give some personal little phrase answer. Try to take the next step beyond that. <clears throat> Say something like that. Well, I trust the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents. We can prove that it's reliable. Reliable collection of historical documents. You could stop there. But if you remember, you could say, that was written by eyewitnesses. And by the way, they wrote that while other eyewitnesses were still living. That recorded supernatural events that's fulfilled specific prophecy.
And by the way, they claimed it was divine rather than human in origin. I think something like that, when we answer more that way, part of that, some of that, it helps people have some evidence to hang on to. Why? Because God calls us to live by faith. But it's not blind faith. He gives us evidence, reasons, and logic to believe. It's still faith. It's not completely blind faith. Let's stand together. Father God, we thank you for the word, your word, Lord, that you've given to us your message. And Father, we are joyful in that, that we don't have to wonder what you're thinking, wonder what's right and wrong, wonder how you would react, wonder anything about you. You've revealed everything we need to know about you and everything we need to know about our own lives. So for that, God, we thank you. And we confess that we don't always get this right, but it's good to know you give us direction. And Father, that gives us joy. Lord, that we could know how to be reconnected to you, not based on our good works or anything we've accomplished, based on what Jesus has accomplished for us and just by faith we can receive. God, we thank you for that greatest gift. God, equip us. When we talk to our, our family, our coworkers, our friends, people at school or university, equip us to give evidence for why your word is reliable, evidence that can be tested. And so that will help them take their first step into discovering, examining, researching your word. Lord, thanks. In Christ's name we pray, amen.